Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, pray what we've uh, just been reading. We pray that you would open our minds now uh, to the scriptures, to the apostles' witness to the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would take away all of our biases and prejudices, that you would uh, remove every barrier to us seeing the truth. And we pray this for your glory and all your purposes in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down and um, if you could be turning back in Luke's gospel uh, to Luke chapter 24, that's page 1062 in the Bibles. Um, There's a handout in amongst the papers you were given on the way in, so you might want to use that uh, as we go along as well. Now I'm a a bit of a fan of TripAdvisor and I quite enjoy reading uh, restaurant reviews on TripAdvisor amongst other things. Uh, especially restaurants I could never dream of actually going to. Uh, take the, uh, the Fat Duck in uh, Bray. This is Heston Blumenthal's flagship restaurant. Uh, you might know if you've ever looked this up that uh, the, the overwhelming majority of reviews on TripAdvisor for the, for the Fat Duck are glowing five-star reviews. Everyone's very, very effusive. But interestingly, there are one or two negative ones, and uh, one of them struck me uh, as I was reading it. One of them rather strikingly noticed that it is possible to go to the Fat Duck and uh, spend over £500 on a meal for two. And in fact, one of the reviews said that they spent uh, £1,500 altogether. Quite extraordinary thing, isn't it? It is possible to spend that amount of money and still go away hungry. It's quite an idea, isn't it? You have course after course of a really stunning, flavoursome food. It's presented with theatrical ingenuity. But at the end of it all, you're still hungry. Now, I mention that today because uh, we're beginning, as we've been praying about and talking about throughout the service, we're beginning our Passion for Life week. 
Uh, in fact, we've, we've sort of begun this already, haven't we? We're right across the church family. We've been putting on course after course of quality events to present Jesus to as many people as possible in as many ways as possible. And uh, we're, our hope and prayer is that we'll be able to look back on all of that and everything that's happened, deeply grateful for what God has done. And we pray today that we'll be able to look back at this, this week in particular, deeply grateful for all that God has done. But my aim this morning is actually that when we get to the final event, the final course, we'll also be feeling well, a bit hungry, hungry for more. In a way, I'd like us to feel dissatisfied. That's an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? Why would I want us to feel dissatisfied at the end of all of this? Why should we be wanting more? Well, hopefully that will be clear from what we're we're looking at um, from what Luke has to say from this passage in the Gospel, Luke chapter 24. But you can see that it all has to do with being absolutely certain that Jesus really has risen from the dead. You might remember from the beginning of the Gospel, uh, the beginning of Luke's Gospel, we look back right at the beginning of the term, at the beginning of this series, as Tim was reminding us earlier, why Luke wrote this gospel. Luke wrote this book so that we might know the certainty of the things that we've been taught. Well, this morning we're reaching the the climax of all of that. Luke wants us to know the certainty of Jesus' resurrection. And he also wants us to know what that implies, what that entails then. We're going to see this uh, big movement in this passage. We're beginning with what we think about all the big questions of life, about life and death, history, And then we're going to think about our place and purpose in the grand scheme of things, in God's grand scheme of things. In short, Luke wants to put an end to all of our doubts and he wants us to listen to God's plan and to find our place within it. So let's begin with the first part of that. Uh, Looking now at verses 36 through to 43 in our passage, the first part of our passage. Put an end to your doubts, says Luke. Because Jesus really has risen from the dead. Now you can see that we're beginning this scene uh, very much with Jesus' disciples in despair, downcast, depressed, doubting. It's amazing, isn't it, how many negative words begin with D. I uh, came across a new one this week, depresso. Depresso is how you feel when you wake up in the morning, open the cupboard, and you realise you've run out of coffee beans. It's a deeply dispiriting moment. Now, you can get a sense of what was going on in the disciples' minds. Uh, If you turn back a page, uh, just to verse 21, just back one page. Verse 21, this is the kind of thing that they were thinking. They had been hoping that Jesus was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel bring it back to its former greatness. But those hopes seem to have been decisively dashed by Jesus' death, uh, by execution on the cross. And now since all of that, some strange things have happened. There have been some strange rumours flying around. But it would seem that nothing has happened yet. Nothing has happened enough to rekindle their hope about the future. So anyway, these are the kinds of things they're probably talking about as, the, as we join them at the begin, beginning, beginning of verse 36. But in four very decisive steps, Jesus takes them from that place, that place of doubt and confusion, 
and proves to them that he really has risen from the dead. And if he can do that for them, then he can do it for us this morning. So follow through these verses with me. And to begin with, we get this. Jesus stood among them and he said something. Look at the end of verse 36 with me. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. This, of course, is the first and, I suppose, most major step. They can actually see Jesus with them. They can hear him, greet them. Uh, But interestingly, this is clearly not enough. Take a look next at what they thought they saw and then what Jesus said in response. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost, a spirit, very interesting, isn't it? They're clearly not expecting this to happen. Despite everything that Jesus has said to them, all that he said to them when he was alive, and despite all the things that they've heard about just more recently, Jesus, uh, they, they still are really, really surprised by this. Jesus has come and he said, peace be with you, but that the effect on them has been far from peaceful. It's one of those moments when it would be great, wouldn't it, to have a sort of hidden camera in the room just to, just to record what their faces look like at this point. Sort of absolutely stunned expressions that they would have been pulling. You see, just like us, they, they have no category in their thinking for a completely dead person suddenly becoming a completely alive person. It simply did not compute for them. In fact, their first reaction is that what they're seeing and hearing is more likely to be a ghost, a spirit, than a person raised from the dead. Like us, they need to be persuaded. And so verse 38, Jesus speaks to them again. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Why are they doubting? Is this the Jesus they saw dead and buried, now physically alive, right in front of them? Well, yes, he can be touched. He is flesh and bone. He's no mere spirit. He's no mere vision or fantasy or flight of fancy. Just to nail it, he shows them more closely and speaks again, verse 40. He showed them his hands and his feet. Why are they doubting? Is this the Jesus who was executed by nailing him to a cross? Well, yes, the marks of the nails are clearly visible on his hands and feet. So it's not some look-alike or or a long-lost twin brother But still they're resistant, still they can't come round to it. Like us, they're cautious about letting what they want to be true shape what they believe to be true. They're just like us in that respect. Verse 41, they still did not believe it because of their joy and amazement. Can this really be flesh and bone before them? It seems impossible, unbelievable. And so Jesus speaks again, this time asking them a question. Do you have anything to eat? And as it happens, yes, they do. Verse 42, they gave him a piece of fish, uh, broiled fish, as they say in America. That is uh, fish cooked on an open fire, grilled fish, I suppose we would say. 
We don't get the complete recipe here. You know, this is not Jamie Oliver. But we do get the basic cooking method. And so they give him this piece of fish. And finally, verse 43, he took it and ate it in their presence. So then what are we to make of all of this? Is this for real? Did Luke or one of his sources make this up? Well, I think we'd have to say in the first century setting that Luke was writing in, it does have to be said that this would have been a very, very strange thing to make up. Now, we'll see in a moment that Jesus' resurrection is, is in the end, once we've had our minds opened, utterly consistent with the Old Testament scriptures, and indeed it, it fulfills them in, a, in an amazing way. Nevertheless, historians are agreed, whether, whether these historians are Christian or not, they're agreed that no one at the time was actually expecting anything quite like this. Now, many Jewish people at the time were looking forward to a, to a general resurrection in the future, at the end of history. But no one was expecting anything like this. They certainly weren't expecting a Christ who would die and then be raised as, as an individual. It would have been a slightly bizarre thing to make up. Just for a moment, suppose Luke is making this up. Suppose he was a, a dishonest and deluded Suppose he did fabricate this. So there's another question we could ask. Would he, would he have been able to write it quite like this? Would he have been able to include all the, the kind of subtle psychological details we've just been looking at? And how the disciples reacted at first and how they needed step by step to be persuaded? Would he have bothered with some of the details? The other details, like that the fish cooked over an open fire... And of course, there's much, much more we could say about this. But I just want us to acknowledge this morning, uh, wherever you're coming from, to acknowledge this morning that there's more than a ring of truth to this account. And if you're still not, if you're here this morning, you're still not persuaded that this is really true, uh, do let me encourage you to pursue it properly, not just to assume something, but to pursue it properly. But also, uh, let me warn you that some radical things might happen if you do that. I don't know if you've ever heard of this character, Albert Henry Ross. Albert Henry Ross was an, an advertising agent back in the, in the 1920s. And uh, amongst, uh, along with many people, he set out to write a book disproving Jesus' resurrection. But while he was researching the book, he changed his mind and ended up writing a very different book uh, under the name of Frank Morrison. It's quite a well-known book now called uh, Who Moved the Stone? It's a bit dated in its style, but it's been hugely influential over the years. But actually, interestingly, that kind of thing, that kind of change of mind, happens all the time. Uh, I knew a man when I was working in London that brought up a strict atheist. In fact, his father was a leading light in the British Communist Party. And uh, he was asked at school to put the case against the resurrection. They were having a, a debate, a public debate about this to put the case against the resurrection. So he stayed up most of the night looking into it, really for the first time, seriously. But then he had to turn up the next morning and uh, sheepishly admit that he'd been converted. So this is the amazing thing. It really did happen. It wasn't just a vision. It wasn't just wishful thinking. 
It wasn't just a a nice theological idea that people could play with. Luke wants to put an end to all of our doubts about this because Jesus really is risen from the dead. But as we'll see now, he also wants us to see some of the radical implications of that. He wants us, and this is verses 44 through to 49, to listen to the plan, listen to God's plan. He wants to open our minds to what God is doing in the world uh, with a resurrection right at the center of it. And then he wants us to begin to find our place in that plan. Now remember first what the disciples had been thinking before Jesus stood among them. They had been thinking that when Jesus was executed on the cross, that had ended every hope for the future. But now Jesus is standing alive in front of them. How does that change things? Well, of course it changes everything. It means that every hope that they should have had from the scriptures is now being fulfilled because of his resurrection from life uh, to life from death. Now Jesus has talked to them about this before. Uh, He's been reminding them as he's been with them uh, from the law of Moses about God's promise to bless his people and then spread that blessing into all the world. He's reminded them from the prophets of God's promise to redeem and save his people and take the light of salvation to the nations. He's reminded them from the Psalms about God's final victory over evil. But the thing they haven't been able to hear and understand from him is his role in all of that. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, what Jesus has been trying to persuade them about is that what's written there suggests that he is the prophet who's greater than Moses. He is the servant of the Lord spoken of in the, in the prophets. He is the suffering Christ that you find in the Psalms. That he is, in short, the one who had to serve and suffer before any of the good things God had promised could happen. That's what they haven't been able to get. But now they can. Standing before them with the marks of his suffering death on his hands and feet, yet very clearly alive and well, now they can understand it. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. I guess it's a bit like the moment in a detective story when the the vital piece of evidence suddenly comes to light. Up to this point, everything's been confused. It's hard to make sense of what happened. Some things seem contradictory. But then perhaps a a letter is discovered or the forensic results come through. The guilty party makes a mistake. Suddenly to the famous detective, everything makes sense. Most detective stories, of course, leave this moment right till the end uh, to keep the tension going for as long as possible. In some ways, it's the same in the Bible. Right at the end, we get the event that makes sense of it all. What Jesus said before about fulfilling the scriptures, now the disciples can understand. And if the disciples can have their minds open to understand, uh, then so can we. Here's the thing. This is not just about having a kind of aha moment. Aha, you know, now I get it. Now I understand. This is also about having the whole direction and purpose of our lives reforged and reset. 
In other words, these verses not only help us to understand something about Jesus that perhaps we didn't get before, they also show Jesus preparing the disciples to get ready to join in with what's going on. And if they can be made ready to join in, then so can we. We'll see this most clearly in verses 46, 47, and 48. I think what we get here is Jesus' summary of his teaching from the scriptures to the disciples. This is about God's plan for the world, and it's all, as we can see, centered on him. And it's also about, of course, how the disciples fit into it. From verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. It's worth unpacking that step by step so we can let the the penny drop for ourselves and uh, see how that we can fit into all of this. Now remember first the background to all of this. The background is is one of darkness and despair. Uh, We live in a broken world, a world where every good thing is in the end spoiled by death. We know that the world this way is, uh, this, this is this way because of sin. That is, because we are broken away from God, our creator and life giver. Hence everything, if you like, falls to pieces and becomes smothered in darkness and death. And it was into this world, verse 46, that Jesus came as Christ to suffer. He came to take all of that brokenness, all the just and right consequence of breaking away from God, All of that upon himself. And uh, the disciples, as they're looking at him now, can see the evidence of that suffering permanently etched onto his hands and feet. And through this, Jesus was forging a new way through death to life. He came, you can see, to rise from the dead on the third day. And the the disciples would also see the evidence of that because there he is, standing right there, alive, in front of them. And so you can see how, the, how, how seeing Jesus alive and risen is, is the key to the final stage of God's plan to save the world. By appearing alive to the disciples, Jesus has managed to change their minds from doubts to belief. That means as news of the resurrection spreads, others can have their minds changed too. By appearing alive and showing them his hands and feet, Jesus has shown the disciples that sin can be forgiven. Uh, we saw this last week. Jesus on the cross willingly was willingly taking all the darkness of death upon himself. We saw that very clearly in the passage last week. Meaning we can be forgiven. Meaning that life is now possible again. Jesus came so that repentance And forgiveness of sins could be preached, proclaimed in his name, spreading God's promised blessing across the globe, beginning in Jerusalem, but even including, even including Sheffield. So that's what we're doing this week. That's what we have been doing in this Passion for Life year. We're taking the eyewitness testimony of these disciples who saw Jesus in the flesh, alive and well, and eating grilled fish. We're taking that testimony out into the world. And uh, we've got the best ingredients that we can find, the best speakers, the best events for 
for our friends. And we do hope and pray that it will be excellent. We hope and pray that people will repent, change their minds from doubt to belief, and then find forgiveness and life. But if we've understood this passage from Luke 24, we should not at all be satisfied at the end of it all. Luke is reminding that the thing God was doing in raising Jesus from the dead was even greater than perhaps we had thought. He's reminding us that what God is doing now, taking forgiveness of sins out into the nations, is the main thing, the greatest thing happening in the world today. And we should indeed want to be reminded of that even more, more Bible training and teaching from across the scriptures to inspire and equip us for evangelism and mission. More proclamation and speaking of Jesus risen from the dead. And hence then we pray more forgiveness, more life in place of death. In other words, like the the one or two people one or two people who can go, for an ultra smart re- go to an ultra-smart restaurant like the Fat Duck and come away hungry. At the end of all this, we should be hungry for more. But the good news is, of course, that we probably have more than this week to do this, more than this week to find our place in God's amazing plan. There's the week after, and the week after that, and the same after, the, after this one. And there's nothing stopping us There's nothing stopping us uh, from finding someone to sit down with and open the scriptures uh, with them so that their minds can be opened in this kind of way. There's nothing stopping us from using the uncover material that we've been talking about. Uh, Going through Luke's gospel, culminating at this point. And because Jesus really has risen from the dead, we can have the confidence as we do that, that we have finally found a place in God's wonderful and glorious plan for the world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, please help the penny to drop. Please bring this truth, the truth of Jesus risen, really risen, alive and well, this truth into our minds, into our hearts, into everything that we are. And as that truth transforms us, bring us into your plans and purposes that we might proclaim it in all the nations. We pray that for this week, Passion for Life week, but way beyond that as well. We pray that our lives might be reorientated, reset, reforged according to your great and wonderful purposes. And in Jesus' name, amen.